Uh, well, good morning, everyone. I'm John. If we haven't met before, I'm a pastor here at Fifth Two, and we're continuing an Advent series. Today marks uh, the beginning of the third week of Advent, as we see with the third candle having been lighted this morning. And we're in a, an Advent sermon series titled Waiting Room. And in, in, uh, in that sense, the title of the series kind of indicates what this season is about in the life of the church calendar. A great deal of wisdom in those who went before us in setting aside an entire month to consider how we're waiting for Christ's return. In Advent, we certainly remember that Jesus came that first Christmas long ago, and we recall what it must have been like for people before the time of Jesus to wait for him, and we make parallel connections to the kind of waiting in which we find ourselves. Jesus has promised that he'll return, and we're waiting. We're waiting for a person. Uh, so today, we're going to think about the voices in the waiting, because there are many, but there is only one we must hear and to which we must respond. So let's read the passage. And to do that, uh, Leah and Naomi will help us this morning. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came from only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Then why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one. You do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, girls. The world has never been kind to the truth or to the people who tell it. That's because shortly after the word spoke the universe into existence and then filled it with light, sin plunged all of creation into darkness. While darkness is indeed the absence of truth, make no mistake, since the cause of this darkness is not ignorance, it cannot be overcome by education. People don't do bad things merely because they don't know any better. Evil is a deliberate choice. The darkness enveloping the world is the result of rebellion against its creator. It is true that the world needs to be enlightened, but darkened minds cannot and will not accept the truth even when it comes from God's lips to their ears, even with unmistakable signs of his presence among them. Darkened minds don't need more information. Only recreation will solve the problem of evil, light from within, light from above. John's gospel opens with the dawn of recreation. How will the world 
respond. And there it is. The most basic cadence of the Christian life, revelation and response. God's revelation to us in Jesus and our response, whatever it might be. We all have one. The beginning of the good news of God's revelation to us in Jesus is the message of John the Baptist. This is how Mark begins his gospel. The beginning of the good news was the testimony of John the Baptist. Way back, the prophet Malachi said that there would be an Elijah-like person who would precede the Messiah to announce his imminent arrival. Even though he didn't know it at the time, John the Baptist was that guy. Look at what Jesus said later about him. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Noodle on that one for a little while. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Now, it's good to clarify, he was called the Baptist, not because he was Baptist denominationally. He didn't go to a Baptist church. I say this, I remember a time I had to learn this. I wondered why he was called John the Baptist. Some people call him John the Baptizer to better capture the spirit of this. He was called John the Baptist because he was out in the wilderness baptizing people. And it's the baptizing that got him in trouble. See, back then there was a kind of baptism that Jewish people practiced when a a Gentile convert to Judaism would be ceremonially immersed in pure water by a priest in the temple. And this, this kind of Gentile baptism into Judaism symbolized a cleansing before entering the covenant community. But see, John took this sacrament and just turned it on its head. He wasn't doing it right. He was breaking all the rules. He wasn't a priest, but he was baptizing. He wasn't at the temple, but he was baptizing. He certainly wasn't baptizing using pure water. If you've ever seen the Jordan River, I mean, it's a muddy mess, right? And most importantly, he was baptizing not only Gentiles, but Jews as well, which set off all the sirens and red lights and alarms at the temple back in Jerusalem. Who is this guy who thinks he has the right to baptize Jews? They're already in the community. What's he all about? See, his baptism was clearly announcing what the apostle Paul would later say. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew outwardly. What matters is if you're a Jew inwardly. If there's been repentance, a changing of your mind with regard to God and the world and what's going on in the world and your life according to the gospel. So, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They had to figure out this guy and by what authority he was baptizing. They wanted to fit John into one of their pre-existing categories. So they sent a delegation of priests and Levites to figure it out. It was probably a, a, a balanced team, you know, the number counter, the admin guy, the, you know. They sent the whole crew out to question John. When they arrived, they asked John directly, are you the Messiah? Because back then, every once in a while, a leader would crop up and claim to be the Messiah. That wasn't unheard of. So they, they went straight at him and, 
And we don't know, but you've got to speculate, right? In asking that question, they probably didn't ever actually believe he was the Messiah. It, this was the crazy test. All right, well, who, where, where's this guy at? Are you the Messiah? John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. So the admin guy, you know, delegation note to self, not the Messiah. Check. And the leader of the delegation looks at the admin guy. Okay, uh, hey guys, what's, what's the next question? Uh, well, Elijah is supposed to come before the Messiah, so let's ask him that. Okay, good. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Delegation note to self, not Elijah. Check. What's the next question on the list? Oh, well, remember, uh, remember what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So if he's not the Messiah and he's not Elijah, maybe he's the prophet. Let's ask him that. And this was actually a thing, by the way. It was common in the Judaism of Jesus' day for Jews to expect two people to be sent from God, a Messiah and a prophet. And they didn't understand that Jesus would show up as prophet, priest, and king and fulfill all of those at once. So many were looking for two people. So you can see their logic here. He's not the Messiah. He's not the one who denounced the Messiah. Well, let's see if he's the number two guy. Hey, hey, are you the prophet? He answered, no. With no more explanation. <laughs> Delegation note to self, not the prophet. Check. Admin guy with the scroll. Uh, boss, we've got a problem. Uh, we got a triple no here. He's not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. This guy doesn't fit any of our categories. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What, what do you say about yourself? I, I wonder about that. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Is, is that, was that, you know, delivered with this kind of spirit? Hey, we're just working stiffs here. The, the big bosses in Jerusalem sent us all the way out here. Look, we got, we, got to, we got to give them something. I mean, it was a long trip. We even had to fly United. It was horrible. Like, we can't go back to them with a list of people you're not. So please, who are you? What's your deal? What are you doing out here in the wilderness anyway? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You can just feel the delegation. <laughs> you know, complete frustration. He, he said he's not the prophet, but he just quoted a prophet. He said he wasn't Elijah, but he just kind of announced the coming of the Messiah. What? You see what John was doing here. John responded to their human reasoning, their reliance upon their own understanding by quoting scripture, by pointing to God's revelation. The dichotomy, the distinction between human reason and divine revelation could not be clearer. The basic cadence of Christian life is revelation and response, not let's figure it out on our own 
and respond. It's not reason and response. It's God's revelation and our response. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, a very important verse, by the way, in my coming to faith in Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. As a recent college grad, I found myself in a place of being unable to move forward in faith because I thought I hadn't figured enough out. I didn't have answers to all my questions. I so remember reading this verse, sitting on a dock by a beautiful lake, and experiencing, for probably one of the first times in my life, the living God speaking to me through a verse in the Bible. And it came as complete release, right? You may trust in me, you don't have to figure it all out. In fact, you can't figure it all out. I didn't have the language back then, but God was saying it's revelation and response, not your ability to figure it out so that you can move forward in faith based on that. Revelation and response. See, the Jewish delegation was leaning on their own understanding and John was inviting them to trust in the Lord with all their heart, to lean not on their own understanding, but to be open to a new thing that God was about to do. You see, the reason John didn't fit any of their categories was because John was a man sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, Jesus that is, so that through him all might believe. Thus trying to fit John into a pre-existing category was like trying to fit God's message into a pre-existing category. And the problem with that is that there is no human category big enough to receive the message of God, the gospel. Writes Leslie Newbegin, the gospel is by definition news. It is something new. It won't fit into our pre-existing categories because it's brand new. The new covenant, which we celebrate at the table today, it's not only new, it's good. So good, in fact, There's no pre-existing category capable of receiving it. It's that good. You ask, so so what's so new about it? What's new is that John isn't talking about religion anymore. He's talking about a renewed relationship with a real God. Look what he said. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. See, the promise was not for a new religion. The promise was that someone would come to us from God. The promise is for a person to come to us. See, the good news of Jesus is not a religion we use to fill the spiritual silo in our life. The good news of Jesus is that a renewed relationship with God is open to us because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because we figured it out, not because we you know, accomplished all the religious duties on the checklist. Because of what Jesus has done for us. John described himself as the voice of one calling in the wilderness. But there are many voices in the wilderness of our waiting. 
Many voices competing for our allegiance and our attention. Voices telling outright lies and voices peddling half-truths hoping will bite. But in our waiting for Christ to return, there is only one voice we must hear and one voice to which we must respond, the voice of Jesus himself. And he said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus did it. That's why God came to earth in the person of Christ. Not to get people under his thumb, not to enforce compliance with religious rules, not to control or manipulate or spiritually sedate the masses, but to set us free, to give us life. And and the us in all of that includes you. It's not for everybody else. It is for you and for me and for everybody else. But let's not forget you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you are right now. Maybe you've done things in life of which you're deeply ashamed. In fact, I'm sure you have. We all have. Maybe you've led a double life. Maybe you're leading a double life right now. Maybe you think you're not worthy of God's attention and help. Or worse yet, much more dangerous than thinking you're not worthy of God's attention and help. Maybe you don't think you need God's attention and help. Maybe that's where you are. We all need God's attention and help. And Jesus tells us what to do. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Give you rest. We don't have to clean ourselves up first. We can't clean ourselves up first. There's not enough cleaner in the world to remove the stain of sin. It's kind of permanent. We can't do anything about it. We need to turn to Jesus as we are and allow him to cleanse us. Here's what he says. Come now, let us settle the matter says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. There's a great little contextual history for this verse. The Jewish people were known for their ability to dye fabrics, especially this kind of scarlet dye that they used. They they mashed up a bug. They used it to dye these fabrics. And wonder of all wonders, you could wash the fabric and the dye wouldn't wash away. It was, a, it was a stay fast color, a stain that would never go away. Though your sin is like that, Jesus can clean it white as snow, white as snow, forgiven and purified. This is the gospel. You can, you can taste, you can sense, you can imagine the freedom in which one might live if that forgiveness and, and grace is fully embraced, right? received from the Lord. There is new life available to us in Jesus now. If you haven't settled the matter, you can. You can. Jesus said it, come to me. Turn to Christ. Cry out to him now. Ask him for help now. Because he's alive right now. The great claim of our faith. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. The Lord loves you. The Lord wants you back. Now you've got to leave your pride behind. That doesn't fly with him. But he is knocking. 
right now at the door of your life, at the door of my life, calling your name in a still small voice. And says the scripture, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. There are many voices in the wilderness of our waiting for Jesus to return. There are many voices competing for our attention, our allegiance. There's a lot more I want to say about this because I think these voices primarily populate our inner dialogue. And we've learned ways of kind of filtering out the noise. Go back and read 2 Corinthians 10 again. How do you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? How do you filter out the noise? And we've learned some ways of how, how do you listen more closely, more intentionally to the Lord? Look for those moments where God's getting your attention. Ask, what's the Lord saying to me and what am I going to do about it? What's the Lord saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Revelation and response. The basic cadence of the Christian life. There are many voices competing for our attention and allegiance. Many voices telling outright lies. Many voices peddling half-truths hoping will bite. But in our waiting, there is only one voice we must hear. Only one voice to which we must respond. The voice of Jesus. And look what he said again. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that in kind of the great fog of life that we experience, amidst the many things we cannot know, amidst the, the many things of which we are uncertain, thank you that there is something we can know and something of which we can be certain. And that is that you're real and that you love us so much you came in person to reclaim us, to buy us back, to die in our place, to redeem us, to call us home, to welcome us home. You're the father waiting on the porch looking for the prodigal just to, to pop over the horizon and you run to us, Lord. Thank you. Would you, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, combat every voice in our internal dialogue that is not from you? Help us to hear you. Help us to receive your truth. Help us to believe that above all the, all the lies, all the half-truths, all the almost-truths. Help us hear you, Lord. By your spirit and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.